Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, and we'll read the first 22 verses. We'll read the, uh, from verse 20 through 27 again this afternoon as well. I'd like to hear the first 22 verses. Our text will primarily be taken from the first 19 verses of Daniel chapter 9. Let us hear God's holy word as it comes to us this morning from Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fastings, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name and are to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing, us, bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we may that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought in upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, 
who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes, and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. We'll read just so far. This morning, may God bless his precious and infallible word. May also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation, as we look at Daniel chapter 9, we do well to remember some of what we've looked at already in the book of Daniel, remembering that Daniel indeed is still in exile, growing older in his 80s, and the pressures that have been upon him to conform to the Babylonian values and now the Medes' values and the ideologies of these kingdoms, the pressures to interpret dreams of very powerful kings, pressures to forsake his devotion to God and prayer, these terrifying visions of things to come for the people of God that have left him drained and depleted of strength. We see Daniel here in exile. And maybe you say, I can identify with that to some degree in your own life. Because at the core of our life, as we walk as Christians in this world through this veil of tears, is it a lot different for us? Do we not also as Christians feel as if we are in exile at times? Has not the pandemic even uh, caused us to feel that way throughout this past year and a half? Has not the world around us and, and the isolation that we feel even in this world as they mock with the people of God and the worship of God, has not that brought us to these same types of pressures? 
to conform to this world, to conform to the materialism in this world, to conform to the philosophies and the ideologies of our day. Pressures that seek to distract us from the devotion of God, that distract us from the worship of God and prayer itself. We even have a more complete prophecy of what will come in the end from our Lord Jesus Christ and that great tribulation, the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, as we could see in a sobering message from Daniel chapter 8 last week. When we could see the little manifestation of the little horn compared to the great horn that will come, the Antichrist, as it's compared to the tribulation of Jerusalem and especially under the reign of the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Maybe you were left throughout this week reflecting on this. How will I stand in the midst of great tribulation? How will I stand afflicted by the man of lawlessness and deception? How will I withstand the influence of that great deceiver from the beginning, Satan himself? Well, dear congregation, we thank the Lord for Daniel chapter 9. Because where else can we turn? but to the Lord. Remember, this book is not a book about daring to be a Daniel in your own strength. No, our God is in heaven, and He is the only hope for those who are in exile. He is the one who has put each one of us in a particular station in life as His ambassadors, as soldiers of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, as soldiers to be faithful witnesses of God. But the question remains, doesn't it? How? Well, let's remember Daniel's secret. And that was perme- that's permeated the book of Daniel, that he was in God's Word and in prayer. Wouldn't have it been nice to hear the prayers of Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, when he had to reveal the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and its interpretation, or the prayers of Daniel in the face of the lion's den. We do well to remember that those who ask in secret, God will reward in secret. And so we don't hear the specificity of those prayers. But we do well to remember that Daniel's secret to usefulness in God's kingdom was prayer, even in exile. John Owen wrote, What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that is what he is. And no more. If you had to evaluate your life about who you are and had to judge it by one thing, according to John Owen, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Well, we know Daniel was a man of prayer. And we have recorded for us here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by the graciousness of our God one of the most beautiful and longest descriptions of true prayer in all of Scripture. 
to learn from. We didn't hear the prayers of Daniel in Daniel 2. We didn't hear the prayers of Daniel in the face of the lion's den. But we hear the prayers of Daniel here in Daniel 9. And that prayer, as we'll see this afternoon, is answered exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what Daniel could have even hoped to hear from his covenant-keeping God. I'd like to look at this chapter with the theme, Covenantal Prayer in Exile. Covenantal Prayer in Exile. We're going to see this morning Daniel's covenantal prayer as it's prompted by God's Word, secondly, permeated with confession, and thirdly, pleading for God's mercy. Daniel's covenantal prayer is prompted by God's Word. If we look at Daniel 9, verse 1, we find there in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the of the lineage of the Medes who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer. What's happening here? Well, the setting, first of all, is in the year, first year of the rule of Darius the Mede. And we're recognized here that now Belshazzar has gone, the Babylonian Empire has collapsed, and now Darius is the king now of where Daniel was in the land of the Chaldeans in Babylonian. And so we recognize here that it's a time of transition. And Daniel was, was engaged here in Bible study, really wondering, Lord, when? Lord, how long will it be before the end of these desolations that were brought upon us in Jerusalem? Now that the Babylonian Empire is gone, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken all of the artifacts from the temple and brought them before his gods, and Shinar, and now, Lord, how long before we can go back to Jerusalem, back to the worship of God in your sanctuary? And so there's this time of transition in power, and, and Daniel would have been seeking these things out in the Word of God. Daniel's now 80-some years old. If he arrived in Babylon around 14 years of age, this is 68 years later, and he's approximately 82 years old. But we do know that over 68 years, Daniel did not forget about his roots. He did not forget about his heritage. He's still reading his Bible, and he's still praying. And he could reflect on the rich heritage that God had given him as the covenant people of God. And as I title this, The Covenant Prayer in Exile, we do well to think about what does a covenant mean? And what, what do we mean by covenantal prayer? What does this practically mean for Daniel? And what does it practically mean for you and me? Sometimes we hear of the word covenant and, and we use that word a lot in our church settings and even in our sermons. But, but maybe, maybe you, even as an older person or as a child, 
Even you, you wonder, what in the world does that really mean practically for me? That's just a good word for pastors to use when they don't know another word to describe how, how good and how great and how faithful God is. So they just use the word covenant. But what does that really mean for me practically? And you might think of business contracts, of how, how you might buy something and sell something. And you think, well, that's a covenant, We've, we made a covenant together between two parties to fulfill an obligation. So if you sold something, you promised to pay so many dollars and then you would receive that product or that service. And there's a business contract. But, but we need to recognize that the covenant that God makes with us is not like a business contract. It's not something that's... that's you, you do once and then you turn away and you, you go make a covenant with someone else maybe and that covenant is over. Indeed, there is a contract to it, but God comes in this covenant and He makes a relationship. It's not about doing business, as it were, but building a relationship. And that's fundamental to know about the covenant of God. He has made a relationship with His people. He has made a relationship with Israel. He has made a relationship with Daniel. You say, Pastor, well then, that makes sense. We also know about covenants in way of marriage. We covenant with a husband and a wife. We take vows and we make vows to, to be married till death do us part. And so, Pastor, that makes sense. But we also need to qualify that by saying there are similarities, yes, between marriage and the covenant of God, the marriage covenant between husband and wife, but also the covenant of God and His people. There's relationships, certainly. But we also need to remember in a marriage relationship, there's a husband and there's a wife. Both are God's creatures. And we need to recognize that in God's covenant, His covenant is initiated by God, who is far superior than His creature. We as His people. And so Daniel here is very clearly in this relationship with God, and he calls him, as he calls upon his name, and I call upon the name of the Lord, my God. This is his God, his personal God, and Lord there is in all capital letters. This is a God who is Yahweh, Jehovah God, who has come to make a relationship with his people. And, and Daniel is finding this as he reads the Old Testament. From the beginning until what he has for him in, in God's revelation, even up to Jeremiah. So what is Daniel reading here? Well, Daniel opens up his Bible and he sees in Genesis chapter 2 that, that God has made a covenant with his creation, with his creatures, with his people, the crown of his creation. And Adam is that covenant head, and, and there Adam says sinned against God. He has turned his back on God in the garden, and we with Adam, it's a broken covenant. And yet God comes to him in the covenant of grace and promises a seed, promises someone who would come to crush Satan and all that Satan stands for and all of Satan's followers, they're going to be trampled upon as he just saw in Daniel chapter 8. He sees in Daniel 8 and 9 this covenant being expanded from, from Adam to, to Noah. He sees it expanded again in, in Abraham and, and his children in Genesis 2 or 12 
to 17. He sees that beautiful covenant given to Israel in in Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai. He sees that covenant expanded to to the Davidic kingdom in, in 2 Samuel 7. And to recognize that in Jeremiah 31, of all the covenant failures of of the Old Testament kings and prophets and priests, and all of those who were in covenant with God, God is going to establish a new covenant. He's going to write that law upon our hearts, and He's going to give us a full measure of His Holy Spirit, so that we today might be covenant children of God. Daniel's understanding... God's covenant also had consequences. That if Israel forgot their God, if they turned away from their God, if they forsook their God, they would also be punished. It came with obligations to be faithful to God, to love Him above all, and to keep His commandments. And if they didn't, they could expect punishment. And this is the very reason that they're in exile. Daniel understood this. God was a covenant-keeping God. And because of God's promise, that those who break His covenant, He will punish to the third and fourth generation. Here now they are in exile. Punished by God for their sins under the desolations of Jerusalem. And he turns to his reading to Jeremiah and several places in Jeremiah. Now remember, Daniel now is 68 years into exile. It's 540 B.C. And he's reading the books of Jeremiah the prophecy to find his answers to how long, Lord, will this desolation continue? And he reads these words. And the whole land shall be desolate and in astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. Oh, Daniel, now you got your answer. You found it in God's Word. And you're in year 68. You may only have a year or two left, and God is going to bring you back to Jerusalem. Why not just take it easy now? You are 82 years old. You are tired. There's not much left. Just sit back and let it all work out because God's in control. So Daniel could lay his head on his bed and go to sleep. Right? No, that's wrong. Verse 3, we read, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God. He sets his face to God. As a matter of fact, God's covenant gave him reason, gave him motivation to pray. 
to set his face to God, to set his face to the covenant keeper, to set his face to his covenant, and to pray to his God as a covenant breaker. Pastor, I remember you saying one time in a sermon, you read through the book of Daniel and and you said, you didn't find any evidence of Daniel ever sinning. And I didn't. I don't read anywhere where Daniel sinned. But I do read this. That Daniel was confessing his sin. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel. Daniel was confessing his sin. So obviously Daniel did sin. And yet he also identified himself as a covenant breaker along with the people of God. And he pours out his heart in prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And that was a sign of deep repentance. And he prays to the Lord his God. Well, before we look at that prayer in particular, I just want to ask ourselves a few questions. Do, do we understand what Daniel, where Daniel is? That, Daniel could have been comfortable in Babylon. Da, Daniel could have been comfortable in the king's palace, serving the king and, and, ex, and enjoying all the luxuries of doing so. But he wasn't. Here we find him fasting with sackcloth and ashes, repentance. Maybe I can ask myself, and you can ask yourself these questions. Are you comfortable in this world? Is the Christian life really like that luxurious cruise ship that we saw last week? Or is it that battleship? Are you a pilgrim in this world? Or is this world your home? I think we know the answer for Daniel, but you need to answer before God what is comfortable for you. Do, do we, do you and I, do we realize the heart of the problem that we all have? That we are all covenant breakers. That we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we dwell amongst a people who have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are no better than any of them. We are all sinners before God. Do we know where to turn with that sin? Do we know that we need to turn to the Word of God? That we need to turn to the mercies of God? Do we know that we need to turn to the promises of God? And do we know how to turn? Do we know that turning includes self-denial and repentance? Do we know that in a world that is so busy and so fast-paced and, and so materialistically focused that we need to recognize that our relationship with God is dependent upon our time that is given to God? And do we deny ourselves of those times to be with God in prayer, in worship? 
do we realize that the Christian life will never experience any gain without having some pain? I don't know about you, but have you ever put on those potato sacks that you might call sackcloth? Maybe you found some in your grandfather's barn. And you, you, you wrapped them around yourselves. Or you went jumping around in, uh, in a race with these gunny sacks, as it were. And, and sometimes they, they just will create a, a terrible rash and itchiness. And Think about fasting. It's, it's denying ourselves of food and, and the hunger that comes with it. And, and, and ashes upon us. This would be terrible. Without some pain, in other words, you won't have gain. Do we know what is acceptable to God? Do we know that repentance comes with a broken heart and a contrite spirit? Isn't that what we find in Psalm 51? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Broken because of sin. Broken because we are covenant breakers. Broken because of the offensiveness of our sin before God. Broken because of our sin in the light of God's goodness, in the light of His grace. And we confess that sin. We repent from that sin. We cut off that sin. And we turn to God through Christ. That's what conversion is. It's a cutting off of the old. And it's a quickening of the new. And both of them are a real heart issue for you and for me as they were for Daniel. And that's why in our second point we see Daniel's covenantal prayer is permeated with confession of sin. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and listened to his confession. It's like he opens up the dictionary to show us all the vocabulary there is for sin. Oh God, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy to those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We have rebelled. We have departed from Your precepts. We have not heeded Your servants. Shame belongs to our face. We have sinned against You. We have rebelled against You. We have transgressed Your law. We have done wickedly. He uses every description of sin that there is to confess his sin before God and the sin of God's people. You see what Daniel's doing here. As he opens this prayer, he says, Great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and those who keep His commandments, he recognizes who God is. He recognizes God as a covenant keeper who is perfect, who is just, who is holy, who is righteous, who has kept His word perfectly. But He and we all are covenant breakers. 
And it's really, dear congregation, the grace of God that you and I see that today. That we see that we are covenant breakers. Sinners before a covenant faithful God. That's what brings us to confession. Without the grace of confession, there will be no true covenant prayer and there will be no true covenantal answer from God. And so it's gracious that God brings Daniel to this place and brings us to that place as well. But notice in that covenant confession, and we do well to notice that this morning, Daniel doesn't say, O great and awesome God, have mercy on on the leaders, on those people who are transgressing your name. Have mercy on those who are doing this and those who are doing that. Have mercy upon, and you fill in the blank for yourself today. Who would you pray for today that God would have mercy upon? Would it first and foremost be yourself? Or would you be very quick to pray for the leadership of our land or the Taliban or wherever you might think needs to be shown mercy? No, Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel says, Lord, we have sinned. And our iniquities rise up before you. It is because of our transgressions. It's not they and them. It's us. It's me at the heart of it. He was confessing his sin and the sins of God's people. If judgment is going to begin in the house of God, it begins here in our prayers. And in our worship, confessing before God. And we need to confess then that God is just. And He's right in all of His judgments. And what great application that has for the church today. As we think about Daniel 9 verse 13 here, he says, As it's written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities. Sixty-eight years have gone by and we still have not turned to the Lord. We still have not made our iniquities known to the Lord and confessed them before the Lord. It's no wonder this disaster has come upon us. The Lord is just in doing so. We have not obeyed His voice And we have all of this witness of God's covenant faithfulness. Notice he says, You have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. You have made yourself a name even today. But we have sinned. We have done wickedly. This is what we deserve. We even deserve far worse. Can't we say that today and agree with Daniel in prayer today? That we deserve far worse than what God has given us? We might complain about 
political leaders in a time of election. We might complain about a pandemic. We might complain about losing uh, rights and freedoms and all of these things. But really, dear congregation, what have we done? God is just and right in His judgments and we still have not received what we deserve. We haven't. If God would give us what we deserve, think about that. What would we deserve? And then think about How have we as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ surrendered to God's judgments in confession of our sin? Has that been evident in my life? And has that been evident in your life? Daniel says, you know, Lord, if I open up the books... And I read the law of Moses. I look up with shame and confess, Lord, you have only been good, an overflowing fountain of good to us. You have not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us according to our iniquities. But your mercy and your faithfulness have been showered upon us. May God break us spiritually today before we would be broken according to His covenant promises. Daniel's covenantal prayer didn't just contain confession of sin, though, did it? His covenantal prayer pleads for God's mercy pleads for God's mercy. Verse 4, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy, His steadfast love. Isn't this what confession of sin does? Confession of sin and repentance, they're, they're really the one side of the coin of conversion, and the other side of the coin of conversion is faith. Faith that lays hold of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And that's covenantal prayer. It must contain both confession of sin and a pleading and a laying hold of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what Daniel's doing here. You who keep covenant and mercy, he reminds God of who he is and his very character. Well, what is mercy after all? Mercy is really that undeserved love and compassion and forgiveness of God. It's the turning away of his wrath. Children, you know what it is to play that game, mercy, right? Where you latch onto each other's hands and you you bend their hands back and, and, and whoever says mercy first loses, but the other person has to extend that mercy, has to let go so it doesn't hurt any longer, right? Well, God is a God who is full of mercy, turning away of his wrath, giving forgiveness, having compassion, Undeserved love. It's often translated in translations the steadfast, undeserved love of God. And this is thread throughout this prayer. Already in verse 9, 
He describes it as, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And then when we get to verse 16, he just opens it up to plead upon God's mercy. He says, O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger, let your fury, fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. That your fury would be turned away. That it would, your wrath would be turned away. Notice in verse 17. And that for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Have mercy upon your sanctuary, O Lord. And in verse 18. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. And therefore, Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen. Lord, act. And do not delay. For your city and your holy people are called by your name. There's mercy with God. There's forgiveness with God. There's compassion with God. There's steadfast love with God. And there's a joy in that love and that mercy that, that transcends all of the, the sorrow and the mortification of the confession that's found in permeating this prayer. This is what gives us a true relationship with God. This is what contrasts Christianity with all other religions in a very positive way is that our God is a relational God, a covenant-keeping God. You think about um, someone who serves Allah in Islam or the Muslim faith you recognize that, that they serve a God who, who doesn't have a relationship, a true relationship. This is a God who's, who's a, a tyrant, as it were. And there's no joy in, in such a religion. But God's mercy brings us into a joyful, uh, a relationship that transcends any other relationship that you could ever think about in this world. And that's why when our catechism or our confessions talk about repentance of mortification of the old and the quickening of the new and, and that faith that, that gives us life in the Lord Jesus Christ, it talks about a joyful relationship. One that's filled with wonder and awe. Could you imagine if it would be anything less than God's mercy. Could you imagine if you, like many other religions, would have to work and by your own deeds be accepted in a good relationship with the deity? In other words, what is Daniel saying here? Daniel says, we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. Because if I had to present our supplications before God because of how good I am as a pastor or how good our leadership is in our congregation or based on the leadership of our nation or based on how good a parents we are or how good a members we have in our congregation, we would all fail miserably. But I turn to the mercies of God for great are your mercies. 
There's nothing good found in ourselves. And that's the amazing truth of God's covenant of grace, that His mercies abound in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's never forget about the purpose of God's mercy. It's all to the glory of God. That's the burden of Daniel here. His his burden is that God's people and God's witness is a reproach to all around us. His His witness in Jerusalem, the sanctuary itself is desolate and the city is in ruins. And so he pleads to God based on your own namesake and for the sake of that glorious relationship that you have established with your people. Do not delay. Lord, hear our prayer. Listen and act. Isn't it time, Lord, to rise up and to bring your people back to Jerusalem so that your name would be glorified, so that the Lord Jesus Christ can come in the fullness of time, and that their truth and mercy can come together at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, for covenant breakers, there is a remedy through the crucifixion of Jesus. Daniel sees something of that. Does he understand it all in the Old Testament? He sees something of it. And God's answer to him is exactly that. And that's what we hope to look at this afternoon. What we recognize this morning is that Daniel comes before his God in covenantal prayer. A prayer that's prompted by God's own word permeated with confession of sin and its pleading for God's mercy. May I leave you with this final question. Do you know that mercy of God that's found in Christ Jesus alone? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. For Lord, you have in your grace shown us who you are, but also who we are. And in the midst of challenging circumstances in our life, you have shown us a relationship you have with your people and how your people communicate to you in that relationship in prayer. Lord, instruct us through Daniel and through this prayer as to how to pray give us the grace of confession and give us faith to lay hold of your mercy for Jesus' sake. Amen.